This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. When you go on your journey to living your one thing, have you ever found yourself feeling guilty because you're not doing it perfectly or because you're not being as successful with it as you'd like to be? For those of you who are parents, do you ever find yourself feeling guilty because when you're at work, you feel like you should be with your kids or when you're with your kids, you feel like you should be focusing on work. Today, we have a conversation with a woman who is gonna tell you, stop apologizing for your one thing. It's not about being perfect. It's about giving yourself some grace. Rachel Hollis is a number one New York Times bestselling author of the book, Girl, Wash Your Face, and the author of the brand new book, Girl, Stop Apologizing. She helps women all over the world because how do we balance everything? This is a broad ranging conversation that Jay Papasan had with Rachel as a part of our One Thing webinar series. Every single month, we have a conversation, usually with a best-selling author, live on a Wednesday afternoon. If you'd like to see who our upcoming guest is, you can go to theonething.com slash webinar and join us live for the next conversation. With that, let's get into this conversation Jay Papasan had with number one New York Times bestselling author, Rachel Hollis. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Technology did not defeat us today. All right, Rachel, I'm ready to go. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I just love this. Um, I've been a fan of you from afar. Some of our super, super fans, right? Madeline Ellis um, in Louisiana was one of the first people to point out to me that after maybe Brene Brown, like you were right at the top of her list. (laughs) And she's been posting about this and I've met with her multiple times when I've been there. And I just can tell you so many of people in our community have just said, wow, this is someone special. So I love that we're coming together. And I want to thank you. I read your book last night and today. Um, and my wife had great fun taking pictures and posting them on Facebook of me with my reading glasses, reading your beautiful cover book. You have the best cover. By the way. Nice. Thank um, you. And uh, I'm going to give you some appreciation just to start this off. One, thank you for giving a shout out to our book at the end. Love that, that we're mutual fans. And also, like, I'm a father, I'm a daughter, and your message of agency, mm-hmm. um, your message of accountability, right, that we control our own outcomes, it's wonderfully refreshing. I, I believe in it wholeheartedly, so I'm just so happy to chat with you about that. And, uh, you know, you keep changing the world. We'll be a part of that today, but I really love your message. As a father of a daughter that wants to see the world be different, thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, um, it boggles the mind, right, that people might not know who you are, because to me, you're a small town girl who's now kind of a phenomenon, to be honest, like, I mean, you're up there. Tell us really quickly, for those who aren't familiar with your story, a little bit about what that journey looked like and how you became the author of your latest bestselling book. Uh, Yeah, so I, gosh, where did I, I grew up in a town called Bakersfield, California, which is about two hours north of LA and is very much like you picked up West Texas and dropped it into Southern California. So big uh, farming town, agriculture, not the kind of place that was, was where I wanted to stay. I actually graduated high school a year early so that I could get out of town quicker, moved to LA at 17 
and uh, went to go to school. I went to an acting conservatory because I thought I was going to be an actress. And I I got an internship at Miramax Films, which was, you know, in 2001, the production company to work at if you wanted to make movies that would maybe someday be nominated for an Oscar. Uh, It was an abysmal working environment, Um, super abusive, insane hours, no money. But, you know, I was a young woman and I didn't know that there was another way to be. I I think sometimes that's a gift. I don't know if you've ever had a job like that, Jay, but like when you're younger and you like got to get the coffees and, you know, make coffee and stay late and answer the phones and do all those things while someone's screaming at you. It's never how I would manage a team today, but I'm so grateful for those years because my gosh, they taught me hustle. They taught me not to take no for an answer. They taught me that there was always away because you were never going to tell your boss no, you know, like you were going to find a way to get the thing to work. So really grateful for that time. And in that experience, I I had the opportunity to um, work movie premieres and press junkets and the Academy Awards after parties. And I was this little country mouse, like legitimately grew up out in the country. And all of a sudden I'm at a party with George Clooney and Matt Damon and Brad Pitt. And I'm thinking, this is the most glamorous thing that could ever happen to me in my whole life. I'm wearing my Payless shoes and my sister's like hand-me-down dress. And this is so fancy. And I decided I wanted to be an event. Is George Clooney tall or short? Because I always find out they're really short in person. He's not, he's not that short. And he is as okay. handsome <laughs> and dazzling as you want and need him to be. He like, you see him, men and women, and, and even the men, the straight men are like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> right? So um, I had this opportunity to do events and I really loved it. And so I started to dream about what it would be to own my own event planning company. And I was in LA, uh, Southern California is one of the top places to um, have a wedding in the entire world. And so I knew if I wanted to be in events that the easiest thing for me to do would be wedding planning. And I kept my day job and then worked nights and weekends, um, learning the events industry, learning how to grow business. And then like most things in my life, I just, you know, one day took a flying leap and decided to start my own firm. And I'm a big believer that you jump into the deep end, you learn how to swim once you get there. And I did that with the events firm. And I just hustle like I married at this point did you already uh, had you already met Dave so when I finally um my husband actually worked for Disney and Disney owned the production company where I work so that's how we met there we go I I yeah and so the very first year we were married was when I decided to leave my real job my real job and start my business. And the only, I made $38,000 a year at the time. And my only mission was I just wanted to make at least $38,000 a year. That was all I cared about was I just didn't want, we were young, we didn't have money. And I didn't want him to have to carry the burden of this, this thing. So I just, I mean, I did events for any, like most people, when you're first starting out, you're like, do a $5 in a bucket of chicken. I will do an event. (laughs) Like you just want the experience and you want the, you know, you want all the things. So I did that. And, and over several years, I built the event planning company up to be one of the most predominant high-end event planning companies, particularly for personal events. So weddings, bar mitzvahs, got to do a lot of stuff in the entertainment industry and did that for a long time and, and sort of had reach like what I used to imagine. Like I had the fancy office where a valet took my keys and I was so cool and I got to, whatever. Really miserable. Didn't like it. Had done it for a long time. Events, especially in LA, are hard. You know, Bridezilla is a real thing. And started to dream about what might be next. And this was 2008. And I, everyone was starting a blog. And I didn't know what that was. But I was like, well, dang it. Everyone kept saying, start a blog. It's free marketing. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I started a blog. And it was just the worst thing you've ever... I mean, even my mom was like, I don't have time for this. Uh, you wrote about so, it. Like in the beginning, yeah. you're describing your food. It was like yeah. the way people like tried to learn Instagram in the beginning. Here's my cheese. Oh. Everybody sucks in the beginning, and I was no exception. Um, and honestly, I was actually in a meeting one day at work, and there was someone in our on our team, an intern, who was like, "Excuse me, do you know that a blog is supposed to be about something specific?" 
And I was like, <laughs> I did not know that. Thank you so much. So I started this blog, slowly grew it to, um, I actually started as a food blogger, if you can believe it. It was the thing that I knew how to do. And so I would teach women, hey, here's a recipe that I know how to make. And I didn't know how to take pretty pictures of food, but I know how to cook. Uh, so I, I, I got in that space. I got a little bit of a following, kind of kept building it, kept building it, and eventually would grow that and scale that into a lifestyle website um, with a staff in LA. And we did influencer marketing and we did white label content. And we had this great company. And what I always think is so interesting is that the tagline for the business back then is the same of, as the tagline is today, which is crazy. So the tagline has always been, Give women the tools to change their life, but I love that. isn't that crazy? But like years ago, the only, the, whole time. Had, the only tool I had was a casserole recipe. That was like literally, I had two toddlers, and I was like, if you could get your kids to eat some broccoli, that might help them. So the only tool I had to give you was where I was at in my life, and as I have grown as a woman, as I have grown as an entrepreneur and a mama and a wife. That was when the tools in my toolkit grew as well. And I was able to offer women something that was more substantive. Uh, so today, I own, um, I'm a founder of the Hollis Company, uh, which my husband is the, brought him, sold him from Disney about a year ago. And, and we joined forces. Uh, we're based in Austin, Texas, and we create media that helps women to change their life. That looks like movies, that looks like live events, that looks like books. I'm probably most well-known for a book that came out last year called Girl, Wash Your Face. And then the follow-up book that we're talking about today is Girl, Stop Apologizing. Uh, but here we are. And I think what's probably valuable, because I know you, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are watching right now, what's probably valuable and what I love for y'all to know as we have this conversation is I have a high school diploma. So I moved to LA and I promptly dropped out of college. So I have a high school diploma. Every single thing I know about being an entrepreneur, being a writer, all of it, I taught myself. So I am a firm believer that you can, that there's like nothing that you can't learn how to do, especially when it comes to your business. Literally every single thing you want to know how to do exists in a book, exists on a podcast, exists in a YouTube video or a Google search bar. I'm passionate about the idea that there's so much free information out there. And the, the question is not, can you find the answer? The question is, are you willing to do the work once you know what the answer is? I love that. And one of my favorite parts of the book is kind of where I can't remember the chapter because I haven't memorized your book yet, right? But you not talked yet. about you were growing as a business person, right? And you like a lot of new business people, like you just ignored this thing called a P&L. And a balance sheet, what's that about, right? And it created fear in your heart, all of those things. And you went as far as to take like a Harvard business course. Oh, I tried everything. In terms of the test, but taught you nothing. Yeah. Uh, but then you found something that actually matched, that met you where you were, right? You did some yeah. YouTubes, but then you found Keith Cunningham. Uh, yes. Another yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So for me, I, I, it was this realization that like personal development is supposed to be personal. It's supposed to be what works for you. And I'm not someone, I don't learn very well in a typical classroom environment. I learn by doing, I learn by reading. I learned like I, there was a very specific way that I had learned and grown in my business and when I came up against one of the biggest problems I had ever had as an entrepreneur, which was how do I get a hold of our finances? I, I started to approach it the way other people did and had no success. And I had to go back to what works for me. And where I really had a breakthrough was where I've had a breakthrough many times in my life uh, at a conference. I am like such a passionate. It's why we have conferences. I am so passionate about what happens for an entrepreneur or a person when they go and kind of envelop themselves in a way of thinking. And so I was at a business conference and I got to see Keith speak. And he has incredible books. If you guys haven't read Keith Cunningham, you totally should. Uh, but he talked, it was basically, it wasn't called this, but it was basically like business finance for dummies. And yeah. I sat in the front row while he explained a balance sheet. And I bawled my eyeballs out, like just sobbing. And I'm sure that he was like, who is this crazy person? But it was the first time in my life that I understood 
that piece of my business. And dude, this is a this is an epidemic in the business space. Because when I'm speaking, I, I have the opportunity to speak, you know, several times a month and I'm speaking to typically to entrepreneurs and small business owners. And when I challenge the audience, I'm like, who in this room really knows their business finances? Who really knows where they are, what their cash flow is, what they've got, who really knows? You might have 2,000 people in a room and three people raise their hand. Because it's this thing where if you're like me, you're like, as long as I have money to make payroll, but you really can't scale and grow a business if you don't understand costs, if you don't understand margin, if you don't have that piece, you can't, you, it doesn't matter how much is coming in because you don't know where it's all going. So that learning that piece of the puzzle was like everything for me. One of the more influential moments in my business career, 2000, my first year with Keller Williams, like, I mean, I've been here for like 18 years. Our then CEO, Mo Anderson, Oklahoman like yourself, and amazing businesswoman. I showed up for a class on how to read a balance sheet. Every employee had to learn it because our franchisees had to do it. And I was the only student. She's the CEO of our company. And she goes, she could have said, let's reschedule. She said, oh, goody. Instead of a class, we get to have a coaching session. Oh, wow. Sat down with me for an hour and taught me how to read a balance sheet, made me go home and do one with my wife. And it was our first net worth sheet. And I get goosebumps thinking about it, but it's such a fundamental lesson. And I got lucky. I walked into the right room on the right Wednesday morning and Mo Anderson was on the other side. Yeah. For other aspiring business people to have to discover their, you you talked about putting the personal and personal growth. There are mm-hmm. lots of ways we can learn this. Find your way, but understand mm-hmm. that if you want to be in business, it is one of those things that you need to learn sooner than later to be really yeah. successful and achieve your dreams. Yeah. Well, I think this is, I mean, you're the person, perfect person to talk about this too. But I think one of the things I try and encourage students or people that I'm, you know, uh, talking to when I, when I do keynotes is, what are the th- like? What's the one thing, right? What what are, what's the thing that you really need most? Because what entrepreneurs do too often is they they go to a conference and they get so much information that now you're like you know squirrel like it, you there's so many things to do that you'll you know you'll chase it all, which means that you have no real like you're not making any traction. You're not really focusing in on what matters most, what's going to move the needle of this business. And so it's so important to understand, what, like have that self awareness. Where am I really falling short? One of the most powerful things I ever heard at a business conference was every single problem in a business is the result of the psychology at the top. Every single problem in a business is the result of the psychology at the top, either because that leader doesn't have the skill set to manage the team well, or because that leader has put someone in a position of power below her who doesn't have the ability to manage it well. But either way, it's on the leader. And when you hear that, a lot of people will feel shame. They'll be like, oh, I knew it. You know, I knew that I was failing in this way. But I heard it and I felt empowered because if you're the problem, you're also the solution. That's so right. if I can identify what it is, okay, yeah, there's there we I mean, we have gone from four employees to 29 employees in eight months. This is like a we're wow. building a plane That's as a we're trying. It's a rush, right? Right now, there's a hundred different things I could walk out of my office door and try and go accomplish. But what actually matters? What's the one thing? I love that I'm having this conversation with you. This is creeping me out. But but what's the one thing that's really going to move it in the direction that it needs to go? That's where you start with. When you say all that, I I learned that. Um, I know that you've probably read this because you acknowledged this leader in your acknowledgement. You, you talked about John Maxwell being one of the mentors that's inspired you. I love that little section where you honored the people who were part of your yeah. journey. Yeah. But the only, the 21 immutable laws of leadership, the only one I always remember is the law of the lid. Yes, that's what everybody remembers. Right, it's the lid. And if you're the leader yeah. of the organization, you're also the lead, the lid on it. But I love what you just said. You also then, if you're committed to growth, you can be raising that lid on a daily basis. Yes. And yeah. One of the ways you do that is one thing at a time, right? Where do I most need to invest my time and resources so that we can grow together? Yeah. 
I love that. It has been, I mean, if there are people watching who are familiar with my brand and the work that our company does, we have these journals. It's called the Start Today Journal. It was based on this practice that I did forever. But so much of even that idea is about, for a lot of women, at least in my community, I don't know if everyone feels like this, but for a lot of women especially, they haven't really envisioned where they're going. They sort of don't have that like five-year plan, 10-year plan. They don't know where they're going. So even the idea of in the book, I I, like, it feels like this is an ad for the book and it's not. You just like, I am a huge fan of this book even before we met. Um, But this idea of, okay, in order for that dream to be made real, in order for that to be made manifest, what are the things that are going to get you there fastest? Because a lot of things could move you in a direction, but what what are the things that are really going to elevate so that you know what to focus on? Because I, I do think like I, so many people will tell me like, Rachel, I am working so hard. I'm working so hard. I'm putting in these hours. I'm doing this thing, but I'm not seeing any traction. I'm not seeing any. And it's like, yeah, because you're wasting time on the wrong stuff. Now we're getting back in. Remember the book. Someone asked, what's the name of the book? Girls Stop Apologizing. It's showing up in reverse. So hopefully <laughs> you can read upside down and in reverse. Um, but towards the end, you talk about planning. And that's one of the where places where our book and your book really align. And I love it because you talk about it's a roadmap. And you yes. talked about trying to find your hotel in Amsterdam, then realizing you're not in Amsterdam, which <laughs> sounds like a complete jet lag nightmare to me. <laughs> yes, um, totally. But funny, but funny today. But this idea, if you start with the destination, right? Identify where you are. And what I think you're talking about now is identifying those milestones along the way. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that in the frame of goal setting to the now. It's you got a 10-year goal. You've got this dream of being a best-selling author or a, a business owner, whatever that is. And if you focus on the next milestone, you can really get into action. And you kind of talked about like that milestone is not about creating a Pinterest board about all the things you can do. It's about taking action. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, so the the example that I always use for people is writing a book. I'm sure you get this too. Like people know you write a book and then everyone's like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. I had an idea. Everybody tells me I should write a book. And the thing is, lots of people start writing a book. Very few people actually finish writing a book. Um, And so when you think about writing a book, you could come at it in in 50 different ways. You could talk to authors. You could brainstorm. You could imagine what the cover is going to look like. You could read books on writing. But at the end of the day, if you want to write a book, what's the the one thing you actually have to do? You got to write the words. You got to write the words. (laughs) And the thing is, People know, like even some, you know that that's the truth. The reason that we skirt the issue, the reason that we focus on that to-do list, the reason that we empty the email inbox instead of actually going and doing output is because this thing is easy. This is something, you know, I can, I can knock this out and feel accomplished because I got my emails down, but it didn't actually do anything to, to take me further. And so what I would say to the people who are, who are watching this right now is you have to have a really honest, like a really honest conversation with yourself about what am I not doing that I should be? What, what am I not? Look, look, what am I not actively pursuing? How am I not writing the words when I should be? How am I not like if, if I'm, if it takes a hundred, you know, phone calls to get 10 people to sign up, Well, then I need to be, what does it look like in my life if I did 150 a day? Like you need to really ask yourself the question, dude, this is hard work. This is hard. It's like, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody's not doing it for a reason. It's hard, but it also, to me, what I love about business is I think business is like, it's like an equation. And once you figure out the equation, I push this button, I pull this lever, we do these things. Once you figure out how to talk to an audience, serve a consumer, you can do it for anything. It's like once you figure out the equation, man, you're cooking with gas. And as long as you're not an idiot, and as long as you have a servant's heart, you continue to do good work, it's incredible what you can accomplish. But getting from where you are to that place where you figured it out, that's going to be a slog. That's going to be some hard work in between here and there, but man, is it worth it? I love it, and I love. Thank you for acknowledging. Like you got to do the work, right? We all love to dream about the outcomes, 
but there's actually work between those two. And I've also kind of experienced this, and you talk about this earlier in the book. I think another reason people avoid actually putting words on the page, because if they actually start taking action, they might find out that they're, that they're not going to succeed, that they might fail. If they actually try, they fail. And I think people um, worry too much about failing instead of failing to success. And so yeah. I know that you've got a lot of experience with that and you're very transparent. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts on failure and whether it should be avoided or not? I just did not know that there was any other way to get to success except through a just a landmine riddled valley of failure. Like I, I really, maybe it's because I grew up a really difficult childhood and just like all of that, that I just thought, I just knew from a very early age that life was hard. I just knew that that was true. And so it never, like really never occurred to me that I would achieve anything without failing. And yeah. so it's actually something that I've had to really dig into how to teach and how, how to talk to my community about because it's not something I worry about. Like I, I fail all the time. You're going to watch me fail a hundred times more. Like, and I fail on a big scale. Back, back when nobody knew who I was, it didn't matter. Now you've got a wider audience, you've got a bigger community. Now you're failing in front of millions of people instead of front of your mom and your husband. Um, so for me, we have got to get over this fear of failure. Failure is a part of it. Failure right. is the price of admission. And what I keep asking people when they tell me that they're afraid to fail, I'm like, you're not afraid to fail. You're afraid of them watching you fail. This is not about being scared. This is about your ego. This is yeah. you feeling like looking at a social media world and thinking that you've got to have it perfect or it's not worth trying at all. It's like, please do not compare your beginning with someone else's middle. Like this, like my career, the books, whatever. I love to remind people, girl, girl, wash your face came out. Last year, sold a bajillion copies. Everyone loves it. Yippee. It was my sixth book. Right. Sixth. Which means there yeah. were five books before that one that nobody cared about. Nobody. <laughs> and doing press for the new book, everyone's like, oh my gosh, are you so excited to have a second book? I'm like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, this was, this was the eighth because I wrote a cookbook in between, which is a whole other story. But it's like, this is just a part of it. The other thing I feel like is just like, get over yourself. Stop being so precious. Stop put, like, just decide that this is going to be what it is. You want that dream. You want that vision that you have of your life. Just plan that this is what is going to happen between where you are and where you want to go. And also just encouraging you guys to get really, get as passionate about the journey, get as passionate about making a little bit of like, oh, I moved forward an inch, celebrate the crap out of that. Because your goal, your goal might be a decade away. Where I am right now, this is 15 years of entrepreneurship, 15 years. So like- Oh, come on. You're an overnight success, right? Oh yeah, totally. It's like, this could be so far from now. What are you going to waste your life? You're going to miss everything. Or what's more likely to happen, you're going to walk away from what, from a good idea, from good intention, from a good business, because it's not happening fast enough because you have some distorted idea of what this is supposed to be. Failure is a part of this. Failure is a part of life. It's about part of business. You need to be okay with falling. You need to be okay with sucking. Like the, uh, this is the other thing is like, are you humble enough to be awful? Are you humble enough to put your work out there when it's not very good? You go back and read my first book, Jesus Take the Wheel. I mean, that is, it's a monster. I mean, like it. it you know, <laughs> If I didn't do the first book, there isn't a sixth book. You know, the first YouTube videos are, I'm sure your first webinar was abysmal. Like, no. this is the process, you guys. I had a good um, good advice I got. I can't even remember where the source is. Um, so I'll just say it's from my wife, right? Because usually that's where it comes from. But if you go out and you look up the first episode of Seinfeld, right, the most popular comedy of all time, right? Absolutely marvelous. You watch that first episode, actually most of the first season, all the characters are there, but it's not Seinfeld yet. 
out there, yeah. Even they had to figure it out. And it took them almost a whole season for the magic to kick in. Mm -hmm. So I think people, they see you, they think it's your first book. No, it's actually my sixth. Yeah. And we talked about that. That They caught you at the elbow of the, the hockey stick. And totally. they don't realize that all of those years came before it. And that creates unrealistic expectations. So one, I love that you're just being honest. You told the story of that person, super successful, not really owning all the leverage they had around them, saying they were just so organized. Yeah. That's yeah. a disservice. And yeah. so when you be, you're being truthful about your journey really helps all of us. Yes. The other thing that I think is interesting that I didn't understand, and I wonder if you would say the same thing, I work harder today than I ever have in my life. I don't do the same work I did 15 years ago, but I work harder today because every time you get to a new level in your business, you know, new levels, new devils, there's new stuff, there's new opportunity, there's new, we got to figure things out. We have a bigger team. Like I used to think as a young entrepreneur that like, you got to a certain place and then suddenly it got easier and you just kind of like stood on your throne and said like you pointed at things and then a business happened. And honestly, all of the entrepreneurs I know, all of the, like all of my mentors, all of my friends who they, they would tell you the same thing. John Maxwell is a dear mentor of mine. He is working harder at, at his age than any of us ever will and and doing it with more heart and with more intentionality than any of us could hope for it is I, not um like it that i don't know I, do, I just want that truth to be there too so that if you keep growing in your business and you're like man i thought that this was gonna be easier or i thought this was gonna be less stressful that's also not true i think you learn to manage it better i think that yes. you get better support and you know maybe you you know, now you're not worried about how you're going to pay rent or how you're going to make payroll, but also don't buy into the lie that once you get to a certain place, it's like, oh, and we're done. And now it's not hard anymore. Um, I've observed that in my own life and the people that I've studied for sure. And one of my, for now, it's almost 22 months now, I've been writing a monthly newsletter, which is kind of my act of journaling because oh, I'm a very forward facing individual, right? I'm always like, what's next? What's next? And this forced me to go, what did I do this month and share it with my friends? Yeah. And the first reactions from so many of them were, y'all do so much. And I wasn't aware of it because we've been on this journey, Wendy and I, for a long time. And I think that when you take this journey, because you're growing, you don't realize how much more you're doing. Your muscles actually are stronger. Yeah. yeah I think we're working harder. I think we're accomplishing more, but we're also stronger. We're better yeah. capable of dealing with it. And my wife last yesterday, she's driving back from Houston teaching and she got behind a gravel, gravel truck and we needed a windshield. I go back 18 years and that was like the worst day of our months. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, oh my gosh. I've just had the worst week, my windshield. Right. And it wasn't just that that was a financial hardship. It's still expensive. Yeah. But we, because on the journey to going big, right. And that journey, you get stronger. You also get more resilient. Yeah. So I'm, I back up everything that you're saying tenfold, but it always shocks me when I look up and go, yeah, we are accomplishing more. But I think, you know, I'll ask you this. You're a parent of four, right? I've got a 14-year-old and a 13-year-old, and I have new parents ask me, does it get easier? I don't think it does. <laughs> I think it changes. There's new delights. Yeah, but I think it actually stays, yeah. might even be more challenging the older they get. It's more work as a parent but I also have more love and more enjoyment. Yeah, I think that um, the certain things change. Like one of the things I'm like holding on to so desperately looking forward to is I think about four years old is when they can sit with an iPad on a plane. That is what I'm <laughs> holding out for. <laughs> like that's what I'm going for. My daughter is two and she is a handful, like the greatest handful you've ever met in your entire life. And we love a family vacation. And specifically, we love a family vacation in Hawaii, which is about an eight-hour flight from Texas. So we're like, oh, in two more years. You're going up and down the aisle, walking her. You're still doing yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Exactly right. Um, so, but what happens is, you know, with the older, my 12-year-old my is in middle school. And there's an emotional thing that happens that's, you know, totally unlike toddler years where I'm so much more 
nervous and concerned for him as he navigates the water of this kid said this and this friend is and if you have older kids too i can't even imagine with girls i mean i feel like the boys are dramatic enough i can't even imagine teenage daughters but then you're also navigating like them having phones and them having access to the things that their kids say and so just all of that yeah i don't know if it ever i definitely think it gets more enjoyable for me i am I love being a mama of older kids. I, and I truthfully, just from my heart, I am not a baby toddler mom. It's not my, it's not my jam. I love them. Take care of them. Yeah. Keep them alive. I'll keep them alive. But I'm not (laughs) one of those moms that's just like, oh, my baby. I'm like, can you go to the bathroom by yourself? That's what I'm looking for. Um, So yeah, (laughs) it doesn't matter, you know, Every season of your life, I was talking with a girlfriend about this yesterday. My husband and I, uh, next week, I should have two, two weeks from now, uh, we'll celebrate our 15 year anniversary uh, of our marriage. Congratulations. Thank you. And we were saying like, isn't it crazy that it's, you still have hard seasons together? Like, didn't you think, am I the only one that thought that we would like get to a stage and then high five and just like roll on into retirement as a happy couple, no more problems. Like, it's like, you'll get this area of your life down and really be killing it. And oh, this thing pops up. Like it's never not work to be in, like to have an exceptional relationship, which is, which is our intent is always going to be effort. It's always going to have to be communication. We're always going to have to dig in and do the hard work and talk about the thing that hurt our feelings and whatever. But I I just find it so interesting because somewhere along the way, I really thought we'd have this down by now and we definitely do not. No, no. I had the same experience like last night with my wife when we were coordinating our calendars. I was like, you're going to be in Delaware next week? (laughs) It's like, okay. I thought we had this part down, but we're still, we're growing, we're evolving. And that mm-hmm. means we have to always be adjusting the scales. You know, totally. What worked last year has to be adjusted this year. And I would just say, yeah, it is more work. But it's even more fulfilling the longer yeah. you go. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I gotta, we're more in love today and stronger today than we ever have been in our life, which is not something that I told you either. Surviving a year of working together. Ooh, like... <laughs> That's like a that's like a master class. Like, okay, it's one thing if you can be married to each other and have four kids and still want to make out and still be laughing, going on dates. Add in working together, you we someone should give us an award. I don't know who, but somebody should. I want to attack that really quickly because I know that we have some real estate people on this. And one of the most common teams in real estate is a husband team. Hmm. And Interesting. So if you gave them one piece of advice, um, what would you give them so that they can be successful at work and in their marriage? I'm I sorry. Like I could I could offer, yeah. Thing. Yeah. The one thing. So I feel like I could offer all kinds of like pithy, you know, whatever the stuff you read in books, but truthfully what has helped me most was years ago, uh, I was a wedding planner. So I would hear some, like the, when pastors would marry a couple, you know, you hear these things. And one thing that I heard in counseling or something along the way was, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? So like when it came to a relationship was this idea like, you know, but he said this and I know it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Because happy looks like you letting down, you know, letting that ego drop, stop being so full of yourself. Like, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And when we started, when we decided to join forces, I truthfully was struggling so much. I knew I needed help. I couldn't continue to do it by myself because I'm the face of the brand. And then also I was the founder and CEO and I was really struggling with CEO stuff. And he was coming on board and I had this crazy fear. I was like, I've been working on this business at the time for 14 years. And I knew... I knew that we were right on the tipping point. Like I really knew it in my gut. I was like, this is about to explode. I've been working on it forever. This is about to explode. And my fear was that he was going to come on board. The business is going to explode. And then everyone is going to say it's because he joined in and not because of the work that I did. And so I just, I was so, I carried so much around. And then I was talking to um, Christy Wright, who's at the Ramsey organization, who's a good friend of mine. And she was counseling me through this. And she was like, girl, 
this is your ego. This is your pride. <laughs> like, this is not about what's best for your business or your marriage. This is, what do you care if strangers think, like, what do you care? Do you want to be right? Do you want to do, do you want to do what's best for you and your ego? Or do you want to be happy? Do you want the business to flourish and grow? And so, uh, you know, it's, it's not even like business advice. It's more just do what's right for the business, do what's right for the relationship, do what's right for joy and growth and like get, get the pride out of the way. Because um, in talking to other couples who work together over the last year, that is the thing that I hear the most. And I don't know if you'd agree is that pride, pride is what will knock both people off course. Cause you think that you did that. And she thinks that she did this. And the reality is none of it matters because we should be working towards a common goal. Love that. Love that answer. We have a saying in our organization, would you, do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship? <laughs> That's a fun thing to talk to your teenage yeah. kids around and when they're yeah. digging in. And I'm like, dearest daughter, dearest son, do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship? Yeah. That's one of those great questions that gets people refocused on what they're trying to be, right? Their pride's yeah. getting in the way. Yes. Um, the other thing that I, I think you probably have worked out that I would just say, if there was a second thing that I've seen and observed is you talked about the importance of communication with your husband. I think clearly saying who's in charge of what yeah. and being very clear. So yeah. my wife is very clear and I'm very clear. She's running our real estate team and I get to be advisor when I'm invited to be an advisor. Yeah. I do, but I have a role and my role is to be an advisor and to be a, essentially a board member. Yeah. She's the CEO. Mm-hmm. And in my publishing company, it goes the other direction. And as long yeah. as we're clear about our roles and responsibilities, that's so good. That communication takes care of a lot. Yeah, that's so good. I would say if you had asked my husband, he would he would have given that advice is stay in your lane. What is your lane? That's the thing. He's CEO, he's managing the operational side of things. I am creative, I'm the chief creative officer. Like I am the content. How does it look? How does it feel? But not stepping on each other's toes. That first year, you said you wanted to make thirty-eight thousand. Did you make thirty-eight thousand? I did. I made thirty-eight thousand nine hundred dollars. Watch out, everybody! Watch out. I love it. I love it. Um, I just had to check on that. That's been riding there. But you talked about like I want to be a parent of older kids, right? That's a, a deep honesty. It's not a popular opinion. Some people might even be offended by it. Yeah. But when I think about the themes, like girls stop apologizing. You're not apologizing for that. That's yeah. just who you are. Totally. And the thing that I didn't know about, um, and being a husband to my wife, she stayed at home for five and a half years to, to help get our kids out of the nest. Mm-hmm. She left her profession to do it. That wasn't, it was something that we were able to do. And she was just very clear, like she also wanted to be a business owner. Yeah. And so the competition, the mom guilt thing, I never had heard of. And I had no idea that as much of it comes from the guy's side of the fence, right? The mom guilt. Definitely shows up there. I couldn't believe how much enforcement showed up from women saying bad things to each other. So this book, if you deal with mom guilt, there's so much wisdom in here. Talk to us a little bit about how you make that journey from getting past caring about what other people think about your choices and just owning your choices because they are who you are. Yeah, so I think... Uh, just to give you like a little bit of a reference point on that, I carried so much shame, not even guilt, shame when my children were younger because I didn't like it. I didn't like being a mom. I loved that. I loved my babies, but I was like, this is the worst. Like all day I'm just changing diapers. Like it was the worst. It wasn't the thing that like, it wasn't my thing. But I never said that to anybody because I just kept thinking, but a mom is supposed to love this. I was looking at my sister-in-laws or my, I'm like, they love this. Why don't I love this? And what I, when, first of all, if that's you right now, if you are feeling some of that, please know, I promise it gets better. It gets better. I promise it gets better. 
because as my oldest started to get older, I was, I really found relationship with him. I really started when my kids can talk, when we can have a conversation, we can read books together. When we, that is when the relationship starts to bloom and grow into something great. And just that understanding made it so much easier for me to parent the younger kids. Cause I was like, Oh, even with my daughter, I love my daughter so much. She's, she's a monster. She's two. She's a monster. <laughs> thing you've ever seen in your whole life. She's a monster. And I know this too shall pass. And I'm not all worked up and I'm not beating myself up because I know that this is a season in our lives. It's not forever. And so there are so many women who are carrying around guilt and shame about being a working mom or being a stay-at-home mom or um, you know, not being this or not being that or not looking a certain way. And it's like, you guys, like you are, you are valuable and worthy and enough, like just as you are today. And that means that you, you cannot live your life in apology. You cannot live your life saying, saying I'm sorry, but really for me, it wasn't about saying, I'm sorry. It's, it was how I was living, you know, keeping my dreams quiet, playing small, not talking too loud. Not, I don't want people to think I'm too extra, too much, or I have too much energy or too much hair. My nails are too big. I got too much. It's insane. The amount of things that women beat themselves up over. So what, what I like to ask people who feel like they're struggling with mommy guilt is this, do you feel guilty about the way that you parent your children or do you think that other people think that you're a bad mom? Because right. really, when you challenge women with that, they're like, I'm like, are your kids mostly good? Like, I know that they can be jerks. And if you have boys, they probably haven't showered in a week. And, but like, are they mostly good kids? You do, you're doing a good job. That, that's what most mamas need. You're doing a good job that they haven't knocked off any liquor stores lately. Like you're doing okay. <laughs> Give yourself some credit for that, but also have the self-awareness to understand that the mom guilt isn't about you and your kids. It's about what you think the other moms think of you. It's about what you think your mother-in-law thinks of you or your sisters or whoever else is judging you because of how you're, you're showing up. What I, I got this question this morning. Someone was like talking about her mother-in-law. You know, my mother-in-law, I, I feel so guilty. And she says, I'm not doing this right. And I'm, and I'm like, she got her chance. She got her chance. She raised her kids. She's, this is your family. These are your babies. And quite honestly, maybe your mother-in-law's right. Maybe you should have put a woolen cap on your baby's head in the middle of summer. And that would have kept him safe from the flu. Maybe that's true. But this is your baby and this is your family. And you get one chance at this life, literally one chance. And you are drowning, drowning in the weight of someone else's opinion of how you show up in it. Oh my word. Like what a waste of time. What a waste of energy. Every single time that you allow someone else's opinion of you or even your perception of someone else's opinion of you to change the way you feel about yourself, you're literally handing them all, all of your power, all of your motivation, all of your joy. You're giving it away. You like, we have got to stand firmly in who we are. And I think that that, I think that that's practice, right? That's a habit. You have to, you have to practice that in real time. That is something that has taken me really a decade of heart. I mean, 36 years, but also a decade of dedicated work to get to this place where I feel like every time I kind of level, get to a new level, I'm like, I got this. And then, you know, a book goes crazy and someone writes an angry article about it. And I'm like, Oh, I'm a terrible person. And then I have to <laughs> learn again. I have to teach myself some new tricks. I have to get stronger. But at the end of the day, honestly, I'm like, I could, you're, oh, you think, great. You don't like me? Fine. I'm not for you. My mother-in-law does it. Okay. I know, I know what my values are. This, this is something that I would say. You have to know what your personal values are and you have to know what your family values are. Like if you're in a relationship or if you have kids, you have to know what your family values are. Nobody else gets an opinion here. Right. Just Dave, that's it. Nobody else gets weigh in on what, what, what we do or how, you know, you were even talking about earlier, you guys and people saying like, Oh, you, you do so much. And I don't know, maybe this is, I'm putting my own like 
my own life on, on that statement, but I'm like, Oh yeah, I get that. But I get it like this, like, Oh, you're doing so much. Are you guys not, you're not tired? Are you working too hard though? Are you pushing too much? Like that's what we get from our families. There's your acting showing up. Thank you for that. That was good. Thank you. But I feel like other people will, they only know their own reality, right? So when they see your life, they will impose their reality on, on what you are actually doing. And you can really easily let that sway you from the course of what it is you're trying to do. Or you can just keep coming back to like, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is where I'm going. You get an opinion. Of course you do. You're human. But I get to choose whether or not I let it permeate this skin. To put it in our one thing language, and you said it very clearly in the saying no chapter, you talked about before you talked about saying no, you listed your five priorities. Mm -hmm. And you know what you're saying yes to? Saying no to this other stuff, saying no to being the, the, the room mom in preschool or whatever that is becomes easier because you know what you said yes to. And I want to open this up to questions. And definitely, if you've got questions for Rachel, please put them in the questions box. I got a few teed up from people from Instagram. But so I can't can't see questions. Should I be able to see questions, or are you just going to tell me what they're saying? I'm going to. We're going to curate them, and all you have to do is listen and and be your smart self. Great. So uh, I remember Wendy and I. We were flipping a lot of houses when our kids were small, and we were literally dragging them to these work sites. You know, creating a safe room for them to be in. And I remember thinking, are we bad parents? And what we were doing, I don't know if it was good or bad, but what we were doing is teaching them a lesson. And we didn't know it at the time, but our kids think it's totally normal that we own a bunch of houses. So normal for them is ownership, equity, not renting, right? So there's always trade-offs. And I don't want to, your choices are your choices to own them. So amen to everything you just said. Um, There's not, there's a little bit of dad guilt out there, but there is so much mom guilt. So I love this for how you addressed it head on, unapologetically. I'm sorry, I had to say that at some point. And uh, you went head on. So definitely, I want to encourage the women in my life to listen to that message. Own what your choices are and just stop apologizing for it. You don't need to. Your choices are your choices. You're role modeling things for your children, your family, your friends. And you might be inspiring people you don't even know about. Yeah, totally. Agreed. All right. Awesome. I'm going to tee off a few here. Um, If folks are checking out, um, I'm just going to do a quick heads up for next month's webinar. It's going to be me and Jeff talking about our reset retreat, why we want to reset mid-year, check in with your goals. You still got six months of runway. Um, I was going to promote your RISE conference. It sounds like you're all sold out. So get on the waiting list. Go to the holliscompany.co.com. Check out all the free resources and definitely check out this book. But let's wrap it up and get some great questions from some folks. So Gita on Instagram, how has your one thing evolved over the different phases of your growth? Oh, gosh, that's uh, that's such a good question. So how I utilize one thing, how I like incorporated it. So I, I used to do this thing. I'm a big... Uh, I think of myself as sort of like the Cliff Notes version of all personal development, all entrepreneur, all of that. So I heard this at a conference and read this in a book and did this thing and took the one thing. And so I started doing, I would start every single day writing down the 10 dreams that I had for my life. And then I heard someone say that they wrote down their dreams, but they wrote them as if they had already happened. And I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. Because if you say, I'm going to get out of debt, I think all your brain hears is going to. And so if you say, I am debt-free, well, man, that's a, that's a bold statement. And your brain's like, whoa. And so for me, I started doing this. Like I'd write down you know, my 10 things every day. But then I read the one thing. I'm, I swear if I was doing any podcast, I would just... I'm not saying that I'm not kissing up. I read the one <laughs> thing. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I've got to focus on one of these 10 things at a time. So my one thing has changed over time. And the irony is, uh, like, I wish I had it. Like, so I used to do this practice. I, I carry a spiral bound notebook everywhere. So I used to do this practice. And you can find in my old spiral bound ner- notebooks where I would write this down. And then every time I did it, people would be like, what? You know, how? okay. So like, I would write down all my stuff. So then I was like, oh, I read one thing, got to turn it into one thing. And then 
it became a journal. So we made a journal. It was a prompted journal that we do every single day. And at the bottom of it, it's like, what's the one thing that you're going to work on first? Referencing, like, I'm like, guys, this is the book. It's fun. Here's the thing. And so for me, my one thing looks a little bit different now. I'll be totally honest with you because we are, the business is quite frankly, achieving at such a high rate that I use the one thing as what are the bigger goals that we need to do as a company? So right now, the new book's been out for a couple of months. And my one thing is a million units of this book. So every single... like I, I don't have my, my journal here right now. But if I would show you how I go, how I went, okay, we're at 300,000. My one thing at the bottom will say 400,000 units of Girl Stop Apologizing. Then the next week, it'll be like, okay, I got to do 450. So I, I use my one thing as... Um, they're still big goals, but they're, it's helping me to keep my eye on the price because Love now it. there's so many. Does that make sense? I, don't, I know that's not really how it works for you guys, but that's how I use it today. That's so why we're asking you, right? We get a different perspective on it. You've yeah. clearly got a little uh, street cred on the success factor. So yeah. we can learn from you as well. I will Jesse, actually, start today journal, Jay. There we go. Three different people ask this, but I'll give it credit to Jesse. What's on your reading list right now? What's on your bedside table reading right okay, now? So, so I have, oh man, you guys, I have the craziest TBR pile ever. Um, I got to meet David Bach recently, and I'm about to interview him for the podcast. So I'm going, he has a new book, but I'm going old school. This is what I read during lunch at work. Smart Woman, Finish Rich. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Um, I'm also reading Ex The Experience Economy, which is so good. So good. Have you read that one? I have. Did David Bach write The Automatic Millionaire way back in the day? Is that him? Am I confusing him with Smart someone? Women Finish Rich, Smart Couples Finish Rich, and his new book's okay. called The Latte Factor. Um, oh, The yeah. Latte Factor. That's the same guy. That's I quote yeah. that all the time. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and he's fantastic, by the way. He is like so great. So, so great. Um, so those are the two nonfiction books I'm reading. And then I am always and forever reading just so cheesy historical romance. That is my version, really. That's my version of trashy TV. I don't watch TV, but every once in a while, I will read a Harlequin romance novel, and I am not ashamed. I do not apologize for that. There we go. Mine, I, every time I read a nonfiction book to feed my brain, I reward myself with some silly detective or adventure novel. Sure. And sure. as someone who studied literature at NYU, I know it's shamefully bad writing. I don't care. It, it yeah. gets me out of my business brain. That so yeah, get out there. I love those books. I know you go into great detail. So, Liana, this is like you, I don't even know where it's towards the second half of the book. What does your morning routine look like? That's a big thing for us, launching your day with priority. Can you really quickly tell us what does your morning routine look like? Yeah, my morning routine, I'm pretty, but I'm like crazy about it. And everybody that I know that's a high achiever, that's a high performer, is nuts about that morning routine. So, I wake up at 5 a.m. every single morning of my life. So does my husband. Uh, he gets up, goes out to the garage gym to get a workout in. I use that hour that he's in the garage gym to write in my journal, have my coffee, set the intentions for the day. What are the results that I want to get? I don't make a to-do list. I make a results list. Uh, then it's time to get my kids up for school, make them breakfast, get them going. And then Dave comes back from the garage where he's been working out and we high five each other. And then I go get my workout in. I work out seven days a week. It's not even a question. It's one of the most important things in my life is just to have that little time for me. Not about looking a certain way, but all about creating the energy that I need in my life. Um, and then we do five days a week for two years. My husband and I do a morning live stream from 8 to 8.30 on Instagram and Facebook. It's a ridiculous morning show where we talk about our kids and we motivate people. And about 200,000 people a day watch this ridiculous morning show. Um, so that's sort of how we end up our morning and then get ready and head on into the office. Love it. And, and, and I'm asking one for myself now. In the book you talked about, each year you set like an overall theme for everything that you do. Mm -hmm. um, you still do that? Yeah. So um, you mean like for my year? Right now. Like when you, I think about all the content you create, what's your overarching theme right now? Is it this message right now? Yeah. I mean, I think for me personally, it, so when I started 2019, my word was warrior. I choose a word. So I'm big on a word that, so warrior. So I really struggled at the end of last year with the book 
became so popular that suddenly there was so everybody wanted to like write a mean article or do because it, that it's clickbait, right? And I yeah. really struggled with that. And I thought, girl, so this is how I talk to myself. You are either going to have to get strong enough to let this fall off your back or you're not going to be able to do this work. And for me, the word warrior was about being tough enough to, to go into battle and do it and not letting that hit me. So I really got focused on, that's why I'm so obsessive about working out is because I think if you can do something that makes you feel physically strong, it makes you feel emotionally strong. So warrior was my word. And then I am preparing for my summer conferences, which is 11,000 women flying in from all over the world, just your home girl, you know, on stage. So what I'm channeling right now, frankly, is Beyonce. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. Beyonce, uh, I mean, Beyonce is my hero. I love her so much. But there's a documentary about her being at Coachella. It's called Homecoming. It's amazing. But Beyonce prepared for eight months for a two-hour show. Eight months of prep for a two-hour show. And that is the level of excellence that I am trying to bring to my life. So... Beyonce. I think it was uh, one of my favorite coaches in our world, Tony DeCello. And he's probably quoting someone really wise because he's got like that photographic memory. He was talking about the difference between amateurs and pros. And the pros, a lot of people think they practice until they get it right. And he says, no, they practice until they can't get it wrong. And that's a whole other category. Ooh, that is so good. That is so good. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that. That's a good one. Take it, take it, take it. You have one of your staffers Google it so we don't unintentionally give oh, a quote no, no, from like Gandhi to Tony DeSalle. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, into my heart. That's going into my heart, Jake. If you had one more message in the 30 seconds we have left to share with the, the huge tribe of folks, your fans, our fans that wanted to hear from you, what would be the one thing that you want them to take away from this and maybe do or just know? So I don't, I, you know, to have the opportunity to speak to small business owners and entrepreneurs, the one thing that I would love for y'all to understand is that the, the reason that I am here and that so many people who wanted to do the same thing are not even in the race anymore is that I kept standing back up. Like yep. your willingness to stay in the ring, your willingness to keep going, your willing, like most of the, it's just, can you withstand it long enough to get better so that you can start making progress? So I say that to those of you right now who are, who are struggling, who are feeling down, who are not making those numbers, who are not achieving those goals, stand back up. Like the, I, I might, I am not the smartest person. I'm the mo- not the most connected. I don't have the most money, but I want it more. And that fire in my belly, that's what gives me the strength to stand back up when I'm feeling weary. So go back to that why and just understand like, man, you're in the ring and you're taking punches. Us too. We're here. Me and Jay, we're in it with you. We're trying to figure it out with you. We're doing these things with you. This is such an incredible, sacred community of people who are trying to get through and achieve the same thing. So please don't feel alone and please keep going. Love that. Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your gift. I'll come back. I hear agency. I hear accountability. I hear truth and empowerment. Love your messages. You keep doing what you're doing. You keep impacting the world. We appreciate you. I'll encourage everyone on this. Go find her on Instagram, Miss Rachel Hollis. You can tag me and say, thank you, Rachel, for what you're doing. Let's give her some thanks, folks. Thank you very much. And I can't wait to meet you in person. Totally. Let's hang out. I love it. All right. All right, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back in one month. It'll be me and Jeff talking about our reset retreat. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you soon. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Rachel Hollis, part of our One Thing webinar series. If you would like to see who our upcoming guest is, go to the onething.com slash webinar. That's with the number one in the URL. Go to the onething.com slash webinar and join us live. Out of everything you heard in this episode, what's the one thing that really stands out to you? What is that one big takeaway that if you just put that into action, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? And if you had to imagine, how long do you really think it would take to just knock down the lead domino, to just get started Five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes? 
when would be an ideal time for you to do that? Can you pause the episode and actually put it in your planner or open up your digital calendar and time block it? We ask you this because we have a sense that you're the type of person who actually wants to get results in your life. And we have a feeling that you didn't press play on this episode because you wanted to give your ears a really good workout. You probably wanted something in your life that you don't currently have. It all starts with that one thing and putting it into action. We thank you so much for joining us. If this is something that you think would help somebody in your world, please share this with them. And if you are new to the One Thing Podcast, make sure you press that subscribe button. It'll make sure all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. And while you're at it, consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. We love to see your feedback and it helps us reach more people and make a bigger impact in this world. So thank you so much for being with us and we look forward to being with you in the next episode. 